We are in the book of Job today, and as we look at Job, I was trying to figure out, uh, I told Miss Deb earlier that I don't know what I was thinking saying that we were going to go through the entire Bible book by book. The Bible is, there's a lot in here. <laughs> there is a lot. And so uh, good luck today as we go through 42 chapters in the book of Job. But these 42 chapters are really great. Most of us are very familiar with the book of Job and the story of Job. Uh, one of the uh, oldest, oldest pieces of literature ever written. Uh, the oldest account. Uh, most believe it is the oldest book in the whole world. And uh, some people claim it even uh, was before Abraham. So there is a, a lot of history to this book. But as we know in our scripture, last week we finished up with Esther. Esther was the last of the historical books of the Old Testament. And so now we're getting into the wisdom and the poetry and the Proverbs and, and that section of the, uh, the, the Old Testament. So the book of Job, we're not going to look at historically because it's not primarily a historical book. It was a, an account that happened, but we know that it is, it is filled with uh, more wisdom and kind of this, this poetic uh, uh, walkthrough of how, how to uh, hear from God and how to see how it, do your circumstances outweigh your theology or does your theology outweigh your circumstances? That's kind of the, the way I've titled it today. Uh, is it your theology or your circumstances? How do you determine who God is? Is it because of what you experience or is it because of He is who He says He is? That's the question. This book uh, is, is really, really great. I, I love how it is um, uh, uh, written in a, in a story form or a literary structure. Specifically, this book, uh, if you are a, an English major or if you, if you studied English or the great uh, literary works of the past, you know this book is broken up into, it begins with kind of a prologue and then it's got a dialogue, and then it ends with an epilogue. So it's a story form that we even know is still used, that, that, that style is used today in everything you see, right? There's a prologue, this happened and nobody knew it, or this happened beforehand. Then there's like this dialogue, the characters going back and forth. And then there's this epilogue, this conclusion at the end that wraps up the whole story. I love how the book of Job uh, walks us through that, and there's a, there's a completion to it, right? Now, we see it. Job didn't see it, right? We'll talk about that at the end. Uh, there's a little bit, something a little bit different in, in that perspective. But uh, we're going to jump right into this today because I don't want to give you a whole lot of history uh, because this is primarily not a history book. This is a uh, more of the poetic wisdom uh, kind of book. So I want to break this uh, study up today in three sections. And as I was praying through, this one was hard because there's 42 chapters in this book and there's a lot to it. And so I began to kind of do a couple of researches over it. I, I studied it, I read it, and then I read it again, and I, I looked at it again, and I tried to figure out what, what does this mean to us? How can we walk away from this and see and understand something maybe that we've never seen before? And I've got every, every week, again, my, my goal is to try to bring one hook in here that you're like, oh, that's awesome, I never realized that. I think I've got it, but I'm not going to share it till the end. So you got to stay awake and alert. But... I want to break up this book into three sections. The first section I'm going to call Job in the Hands of Satan. In the second section, I'm going to call it Job's, Job in the Hands of Man. And the third section, I'm going to call it Job in the Hands of God. Because I look at these three parts, uh, the first two chapters are in my mind as I read them over and over again. It's Job in the Hands of Satan. He has no control. It's all Satan does some things to Job. 
Then in, in the big chunk of this book, the majority of this book from chapters 3 to chapters 37, it's Job dealing with man, right? It's these, these guys that are trying to speak into his life. And so it's, it's almost like Job is subjected to all of these outward people. And then the last section, just the last couple of verse chapters from chapter 38 to chapter 42 are Job in the hands of God. And it is this an incredible incredible uh, uh, epilogue to this to this story and I, I love you know each time we've gone through a book in the Bible I always tell you there's something in here that I, I love and it makes it my favorite I've got a favorite in here too and it's my favorite in all the Bible probably again so uh, forgive me for saying that every week but when I study it and read it it's just so good it's so good so the first two chapters here's what I want us to see uh, Job in the hands of Satan as we see this first section though uh, for the first uh, six, five verses what we see is Job is rich. Job is rich. He's wealthy. He's got some stuff. I listed out some of the things Job has. He's got seven sons and three daughters. And it's not just seven sons and three daughters. It's seven good sons and, and three of the most beautiful daughters in the world. It's, the Bible says it. I'm not making it up. He's got 7,000 sheep. He's got 3,000 camels. He's got 500 oxen. And he's got 500 donkeys. And he's a generous guy. It's a great, it's a great start to a story, right? You've got the wealthy man that's got all this. His life is incredible. In fact, the wealthiest man in all of the land. No one was wealthier than Job, as it says through the Scripture. Um, and as, it, as we see it, he's, he was uh, the greatest of all the people in the East, as it says in verse number 3. And so Job had all these riches. Well, it doesn't take long. We know what happens in the story. Um, Satan is allowed to test Job and to... Uh, uh, to bring some hardship on him. So what we see first is Job is rich. Then we see Job is poor. All of his fortune is swept away in crazy disasters. Whether it be a thunderstorm or thieves, he loses all of his uh, sheep. He loses all of his camels. He loses all of his oxen. He loses his donkey. He loses the donkeys. He loses, loses all this stuff, this property, this wealth. Loses it all. Then what happens, we see after Job is really poor... The next thing we see in chapter, I mean, this is all in chapter one. Like, this is just wild to see. After he's rich, then he's poor, and now he's sad. All ten of Job's children died. All ten of them. A tornado hit the house, all of them, all of them taken away. All of them die. So, awful, awful, awful story. He loses his, uh, uh, now he's lost his, his wealth, he's lost his family. And now, the next section, we see he gets sick. He loses his health. He's struck with a horrible disease. It hurts to sit. It hurts to stand. It hurts to lay down. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet, he's covered in boils. It is a miserable existence. Now, all of this happened. We know the story, right? Satan goes to God and he's like, you know, God's like, hey, I'll let you enter in. You can come in here and ask me a question. And Satan's like, let me, you know, there's just nobody to bother. Everybody, whatever, this is all going on. God says, have you considered Job? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What? God is like, hey, this guy right here, I love him so much. Have at him. Have at him. Just go for it. It's like, oh my goodness, this doesn't make any sense. And even in, in chapter 1, verse number 11... I want to read this, and I want to uh, reference this in just a second. Because in chapter 1, verse number 11, the Bible says this, um, But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. This is Satan asking God. Touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. That's what Satan says. Satan's like, listen, 
He, he will curse you, God. That's what will happen. If you, if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, destroy his life, and he will curse you. So the reason I read that verse is because I want you to see something that happens in chapter 2, verse number 9. So first we see Job is rich, then we see he's poor, then he's sad because his children have all died, then he is sick, and now he's lonely. Because in chapter 2, the woman by his side, his wife, lovely Miss Job's wife. Let me tell you, living a life of a married person, my wife is an incredible support to me. If there's any day that my wife is not a support to me, it is miserable. Like it is, if she ever says, I don't support you in this, it is a miserable, lonely existence. Miserable. In this moment, Job's wife abandons him. And listen to what she says in verse number nine of chapter two. She says this, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's the, that's what Satan said he was going to do. Now Satan is using his Job's wife. That's not the that's not the supportive wife that you want in your house. This is now Job is lonely. Let me tell you, it's a lonely place whenever your your spouse doesn't even uh, uh, help you through situations and troubles and strife and strife, and 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 to know that like her phrase was what Satan said would happen. Satan said, if you take everything away, he'll curse you. Well, Job hadn't cursed him yet. And so what did Satan say? He said, I'm going to use, I'm going to deceive the woman and let her tell him, hey, you should curse him. You know why? Because Satan's like, all these, these, these things didn't really work. So I'm going to try to persuade him. I'm going to try to deceive him by using the person that he loved the most in the world, his wife, to speak bad things into his life. So now Job is lonely. After these uh, chapters, after, in, the, in the end of chapter two, what we, we see this transition happen. It goes from Job in the hands of Satan, because Satan was doing all these things to Job. Now it, go, it moves and transitions into Job into the hands of men. There were these, uh, these three men that show up. And so in chapter 2, verse number 11, it says, Now uh, when Job's three friends heard of this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, and Bildad, the uh, Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. So that's what these three guys, now these were older guys, okay, so um, now there are, there are scholars out there, and as I did kind of a, 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 a rabbit hole search through the person of Job and tried to figure out like whose family was he in, right? Is there something in the scripture that would point me to something? I, I think I found something, but I'm not confident enough to just like say, he was of this line, and these, these guys were of this line. I have some thoughts, but uh, ultimately, those, they don't matter that much because it's not super clear here. So uh, what matters is these three guys come into Job's life. Now, in the, in the custom in this time, if someone was grieving deeply, you were not to speak to them first. You were supposed to wait for them to speak to you. And Job was this wealthy, powerful man, so typically you would wait until that person addressed you before you address them. So what happens? At the end of chapter 2, what we see is these three guys show up, and they sit there and wait, and and, and Job is silent, because Job probably doesn't want to hear it. You heard he was rich, then he got real poor, he got real hurt, real sad, he got real infected and sick, and now he's lonely. 
He doesn't, I, I'm sure he doesn't want to, he sees these three guys coming and he probably knows who these three guys are, right? These are three of Job's friends. He knows who they are. He knows the kind of people they are. So they, they walk up and he's thinking, they're not going to speak to me unless I speak first. So I'm going to wait them out. I'm just going to be silent. I'm not going to talk to them. So they sit there a whole week, seven days and seven nights. Job doesn't say a word. And they don't say a word because they're waiting, that, because they're, they're following the custom. Here's what I've learned, though, about the world. Here's what I've learned about mankind. If people come to you and they think they can teach you something, they think they can, they know better than you, they think they're wiser than you, they think they're, they'll wait, they'll wait seven years. They're not just going to, they'd have stayed there forever waiting on Job because they had something to say to him, right? So now they came, it looks like to sympathize with him. But what we find is these three characters are not exactly the ones you're hoping to get sympathy from. These guys are not giving the best wisdom in the world. And so uh, we're going to look at these three guys, um, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Uh, There's a fourth one that shows up as well. That fourth one that shows up um, is a younger man named Elihu. Uh, Elihu is um, sometimes referred to as the mediator. He shows up way later uh, in the scripture of what he actually says. But so these, these three guys, particularly are older guys, and then the younger guy is this Elihu. Um, and so we will, we will see that as, as what we hear from these men, Job is now, I mean, he's lost everything, right? He's lost everything. Uh, you know, his wife is the only thing still living, but, he's, but it, it's, um, I used to tell uh, teenagers all the time, there would be uh, these uh, teenage girls especially, they would say they're just, they, just, they didn't want to be lonely, whenever they get older, so they wanted to find a man really fast. And I used to say, listen, it, it's better to be without a man and alone than with a man in a house and alone, because that's, that's miserable. Like, that's, that's not a life you want to live. You, you don't want to be married to somebody and be alone, right? That's, that's, a, that's a terrible, awful existence. Job was even in that existence. He, had, he was married, but he was alone. And so these, uh, this first guy that we see, uh, the first thing that happened, by the way, the way Job breaks the silence is he just, he, he's sad and curses the day he was even born. That's how he breaks the silence to these guys. He's there with them for a solid week. If you've ever spent a week with somebody, you know they can get on your nerves in a week. Imagine not even talking for a week and them getting on your nerves. Like, that's how bad. Job just burst out in this, I, I, I perished the day I was born. I wish I didn't even, wish I wasn't even born. This is awful. This is terrible. Um, and so as he breaks that silence with uh, cursing the day he was born, what we see next is uh, he, he's, he gives this long discourse in chapter 3. And then ver- chapter 4, we find Eliphaz. Eliphaz is this guy um, who is, uh, he likes to talk about visions and spirits. He's a, he's a, um, uh, a, a mystical kind of guy. And he does something in his conversation with Job that is, um, uh, that's, that's wrong, but it's like just a little bit wrong, right? So he, he's doing this thing where he is just, um, suggesting maybe Job has done something wrong. Maybe, Job, maybe Job's a great sinner, and all this has come on him because he's sinned. So I like to think of Eliphaz as this guy who suggested, there's a chance, listen, there's a possibility here if we're thinking about all of the mystical, spiritual elements. There's a chance, Job, that maybe you've done something wrong. There's a chance that's happened. And so in chapter 4, um, I, I want to show you a couple of places that he, he made these suggestions. Uh, in chapter 4, verses th- verse 3 and verse 5, I want to read these two to you. It says, uh, Behold, you've instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. 
But then verse number five, but now it has come upon you and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. So there's just a little suggestion there. It's we, it doesn't make any sense to me, Job. You know, you, you've, you've done a lot of good stuff, but now it's come to you and you're impatient with this. Impatient. The guy's just lost everything. What? Calm down a little bit, Eliphaz. Give the guy some, some love. Give him a break. We see in verse number, uh, verses seven, 7 and 8, Remember who that was, uh, uh, who that was in, innocent ever perished. Who that was innocent ever perished? Or were the upright cut off? As surely as, as I have seen, those who plow iniquity also sow trouble and reap the same. The, he's, he's saying, listen, Job, the truth is you do bad things, bad things happen. I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you did anything. I'm just, I'm just suggesting there's a chance. Have you checked your heart lately? Have you checked your life lately? Have you checked the things you've done lately? That's kind of the way Eliphaz is, is working through this. He's, um, and then by the time chapter 5, verse number 17 comes around, listen to what he says in chapter 5, verse 17. This is, Eliphaz is, is chapter 4 and 5. You see how he talks to him. And, and again, this is all very poetic in nature. And so there's, there's um, conversations that he's saying, but things he's actually saying, right? Things he's not saying are things he's saying. But in chapter 5, verse number 17, listen to what he says. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Do you know what he's saying right there? Job, listen. Okay, so you've done something wrong we don't know about. That's okay. Listen, you should be, you're blessed that God's disciplining you. He's correcting you. You should be rejoicing and singing right now. Job has just lost all of his, all of his riches, all of his family. His wife is alone. He's sick. He's hurting. He's got boils all over his body. The last thing he wants to hear from this up, upright, self-righteous friend is saying, Job, be thankful the Lord's taking care of you and disciplining you. Like, what? Now, here's the thing. We look at this and we say, well, Eliphaz is, is he's kind of a jerk, right? I mean, that's, that's rude. I, I, that is, that's rude. He shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have done that. Um, this, is, this is not exactly the friend you want to have in a grieving moment right? You don't, you don't want to hear, listen, you should be thankful that God, he's, he's just disciplining you. That's what he's doing. That's obviously what's happening here. Not the friend you want. And then Job gives a response. Um, and the way Job responds, we'll get into in just a minute. I want to kind of wrap back around as I've done this survey a couple of times now. Um, but so you got this first guy, Eliphaz, who he suggested there's a chance, Job, maybe you did something wrong here. So if that's true, if you did something wrong, be thankful that God is disciplining you. He corrects those he loves, right? That's, that's true. It's a true statement. Just probably not the right context in which to use it. Now, then there's a second guy, Bildad. Bildad was worse than Eliphaz. He's, this guy's, it gets worse as it goes. Bildad is this guy who in chapter number, uh, we'll see in chapter 8, uh, he pulls up a couple of, of things. Now, part of his, his uh, suggestion, he didn't just suggest that Job might be a sinner. Um, he assumed it. He assumed, oh, you are a sinner. There is, that's, that's probably the, the right case. So the first guy was like, there's a chance. You could be, you, this could be on you. There's a chance it could be on you. This guy says, I'm going to assume it's on you. 
That's what I'm going to assume. So the way his stance is, the way he takes his stance, is um, he's a very clever guy, speaks in these, in these really good, smooth quotes. I heard a, a, a comedian slash author slash speaker one time named Bob Goff. I don't know if anybody's heard of Bob Goff. Bob Goff is hilarious. Christian writer, author, uh, and he's, he's just so funny. And I heard him speaking one time, and he said, I'll say this, I never trust anybody who rhymes all the time. I was like, that is a weird thing to get hung up on. And he said, because if they rhyme and they're eloquent enough, you could believe it's true just because it rhymes. And he's like, have you ever heard somebody that does that? And I'm like, I, actually, I do know a couple people that they, they, preachers especially that are like trying to rhyme everything and make everything sound super cool. You know, you want more of a win, have some more sin. You know, you're like, oh, okay, hey, okay, more win, more, okay, that makes some sense. It's, it's, it's smooth talking. That's this guy. Bildad's a smooth talking guy. He's clever. The way he puts his words together are very um, uh, compelling. They're very, uh, um, um, uh, they're very engaging, and they, they make you want to kind of just trust where he's going. And so he assumes, again, that, that, that Job is a great sinner, and this is a problem. A couple of places I want to show you where he assumes this. In chapter 8, verse number 3, uh, he says in verse number 3, Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? He says, listen, are you saying that God would do this to you if you weren't a sinner? Like, that's what... Now, that sounds totally right, right? I mean, it's like, oh, God, of course God wouldn't do that. No. Now, he's, he's putting it in a context that's wrong, okay? So it's, it's important to know truth in the wrong context can, can be understood incorrectly, okay? So just because it's a true statement doesn't mean it applies in this role because this person... Because the object of the, of the words didn't experience what... Bildad didn't know anything going on. He didn't know the conversation God had with Satan, right? He doesn't he didn't know any... He's, he's got incomplete information here. So he says this phrase. Then he says in verse number 6, If you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. Here's what he says. It, it, I'm going to assume you did something wrong because... If you did the right thing, God would take care of you. That's what he's saying. And it's like, what in the world? Then verses 11 through uh, 13 of chapter 8. Um, can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not uh, cut down, they wither before an, any other plant. Such are the paths of all those who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. Here's what Bildad is ultimately saying. You have sinned here, man. I just, I just really think this is on you. I, I'm just going to... Because God's too good to do this to you if you did something wrong. You've aligned with God, and this is just... You, you shouldn't... If you align with God, He's going to take care of you. You're going to flourish. You're going to grow. Now, the principles, again, we hear it, and we're like, well, yeah, that, should, that makes sense, right? That's something that should make sense in human understanding. So far, now we're to the part in Job where... We've seen uh, this, this prologue. Here's what's kind of set up this, this thing. And when Job was in the hands of Satan, he had this physical and, and, and actual um, uh, practical issues come up in his life, right? He, no one, everyone noticed when Satan messed with him. Everyone noticed because of the things that happened to him. And then what we see, this next section, as he's in the hands of men, he gets moved from the hands of Satan into the hands of men. And what happens in the hands of men? There's this, there's this world going on that you can't see the battle, right? You can't see, you can't feel and experience because it's not as obvious. 
You've got this guy who's cleverly sharing words that aren't true, cleverly sharing words that could be true, but not to him. And all of these problems are kind of, kind of overwhelming Job in these moments. And we see uh, he's, I mean, he literally in verses 11 through 13, he calls Job a hypocrite because he says, can this grow where this doesn't happen? No, we've seen Job, you have all this nice stuff. And now the truth is exposed. You don't have the nice stuff anymore. So he, I mean, in, in essence, he's telling Job, you're a hypocrite. You've pretended to be this way for so long. Now the truth comes out. And Job the whole time is sitting here thinking, I've lost everything, man. Bill, Dad, get back off me. Like, I, didn't, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I just don't get it. He's freaking out. He's upset. And so, uh, you know, he, so Bildad's this guy who assumes, yeah, you're a sinner. And we know because now look at what's happened to you. We're going to assume this is what it is. And then chapters 9 and 10 are, again, the re- Job's response to Bildad and how he says this. I hope, I hope this encourages you to go and read this. I'm going I'm to come back and kind of walk through it again but um, in, in Job's responses. But it is interesting to hear the light of these three guys specifically and then how, how would you respond to these three guys, right? If, if something bad happened to you and you, you, you felt like, man, listen, I, I feel like I'm upright. I feel like I've done the right things. I feel like I've, I'm in communion with God. I talked to him. I, I've, I've done my sacrifices. I've given generously. I've prayed. I, I, don't know, I don't know why all this turmoil has come on me. I don't understand. And then somebody's saying, oh, well, you're obviously not who you said you were. You're obviously a hypocrite. Something bad happened to you. Oh, well, you obviously have these issues. There's nothing obvious about it. (laughs) God did something in the beginning that we didn't see, right? So then there's this third guy um, named Zophar. Zophar is in chapter 11. um, And Zophar is, he's the worst of these guys. So as it it built, you had, um, and I say the worst of these guys, all these guys were not good for Job. Okay, just let me just explain it that way. So you had this first guy. Who, uh, who comes in and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest there's a chance you've sinned. Then you've got the next guy who comes in, Bildad, and he says, I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to suggest it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume it. You did something wrong here, man. You need to figure it out. You are a hypocrite. And there's something you did wrong. This last guy, Zophar, did even another step further. He told Job, you're a sinner. Like that's what, he, he said it. He flat out says it. He's like, you are, you are not uh, who you're supposed to be. This guy, uh, of all of the guys, this guy was very proud, very arrogant, thought him and God were just super tight. Him and God, he was righteous, no one else was. This guy had this, had this, um, this, this clout to him. He's got this, uh, this overwhelming sense of entitlement. He and God are super close and nobody else is as close as him and God. He says, I've done, listen, you don't even know how righteous I am. You're lucky I'm even in your presence right now, Job. That's what this guy says. I just want to look at one little section of scripture with what he said. That's the only statement I think we'll need. Uh, Chapter 11, verses five and six. And listen to what he says. Oh, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. Know that, we, that then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. You hear, so here's what he says. Let's, let's keep in mind, Job has buried his, his ten children. Now, I have, I have seen people that have lost a child. And it is, it is 
wrecking, wrecking. I mean, I mean, wrecks. I can't imagine the pain. I can't, I can't imagine. I can't, I, I've tried my best to wrap my mind around and I cannot. I, I don't ever want to experience it. I don't want anybody to experience it. He lost 10 children in a disaster and he's buried them. He's had the funeral. He's been sick. He's been poor. He's lost everything. And this guy says, oh, you deserved way more. You deserved way worse. I can't believe you got off so easy. Like that, I'm mad at this guy. Like, I don't, I don't know him. I don't, and I, 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 I mean, that is evil in, in this. You got off easy, Job. You deserved way worse. He's saying you are a sinner and you deserved the worst of the worst. Now, here's, here's, here's the thing. Through this scripture, what we see are moments of truth, right? We, listen, we deserve, as, as humans, sinful humans, we deserve hell and separation and death. And like, we don't deserve anything good. We, we, we've not aligned with the holiness of God, right? He's perfect. We're not. We've been against him from birth. Like, we do deserve, we do deserve hell and separation. And we, we deserve that. But in this context, Zophar is way out of line, way out of line. He didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was, you know, it's funny to me that Zophar has this personality of uh, me and God are super tight and I know him better than anybody else knows him and he knows me. He's got a corner on me. He's holding me real close. We, me and him, we're tight. So let me just tell you what God is thinking. And the whole time God being like, who's this guy? I mean, he, he didn't, he didn't know what I did. He didn't know what, he didn't know my plan. He, he didn't know because he's so self-righteous and arrogant that he didn't know what was really truly going on in his own life. Now, if we keep in mind of all this uh, about what Job has experienced and these three guys specifically, uh, I want to take a moment right now and I want to look back at some of Job's responses. Okay, so we're going to kind of dance back now to when Job replied to some of these guys. And I want us to see today uh, poetically and and uh, literarily, uh, if that's a word, um, for not literal, but uh, um, literary. Yeah, that's a word. Uh, And the way he responds to these people helps us to see what people go through in grieving. Now, if I've I've taught through Job before. Uh, The last time I taught through Job, though, was before my father passed away. So um, you can imagine that when I taught through Job before, it's different than when I teach through it now, right? Because I, I have, and I've, I've lost people before, um, but I've never lost a person that close before. I've never lost a, a close friend, one that I loved, one that I, one that I, I respected beyond you can even imagine. So now that I have experienced deep grief, I mean deep, deep grief, I look at this story very differently. When I look at these uh, responses from Job, uh, when, I, when I read through it the first time years ago and, and taught it the, you know, before this, I would tell you that Job was insane in some of the ways he responded. I'd say, oh, he was so sinful in this. Man, he was just, he, was, he, was, he, he lashed out when he shouldn't have lashed out. How dare him? How dare him? And now I look at it and I think he was going through grief. That's, that's what he's going through. He was grieving. And grieving people... Are, they, they are, listen, I was a grieving person for a very long time. Still some days I grieve. And when I grieve, I, good luck catching me on a grieving day. 
because it's, it could get ugly. You know what I mean? I could say, you know what? Get out of my face. Like, I don't, I don't like you right now. I mean, I, I would say these things because why? Because I'm experiencing hurt. Hurting people hurt people. You ever heard that phrase before? People that are hurting tend to hurt people. Not on purpose, not because I don't like you, but because I'm dealing with some stuff in my life and it's hard to go through this. So if I look back at the times that Job responded to these guys, it gives me almost this full spectrum of the grieving process. I I look back at how Job responds. He responded in anger sometimes. Listen to what he says in chapter 30. uh, Chapter 30 of um, of, of Job, verse number one. So I know I said we're going to look back at this, but there's some of this that like we just need to see. Uh, chapter 30, verse number one. Um, yeah, he says, But now they laugh at me, men who are younger than I, th- whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. You know what, that's, you know what he says there? Sometimes we read the scripture, we're like, oh, yeah, he, of course, the fathers disdained to serve in the flock of my dogs. Like, what he's saying is, I wouldn't put their dads in my dog pens. That's what he's saying. He's like, he's disrespecting their fathers. Like that's how, because he's angry, right? He's been hurt. He's going through a grieving process. He is, I mean, he's like, I, I hate these guys so bad. I would take their dads and I wouldn't even put their dads in my dog pens, let alone give them anything if they needed help. Like that's how mad and angry Job was. We also see moments of brokenness. Um, a lot in chapter 10, a lot in chapter 30, a lot in, um, and, and as we, we hear the brokenness of Job, I want to I read just a couple of these to you. Um, in chapter, let's go back to chapter 10 in Job, um, verses 7 and 8, uh, the Bible says this, Although you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand, your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. That's a broken man. He's like, listen, he's, he's, pleading to God, and he's like, God, you, I, I don't feel like I've done anything wrong, and you, you've broken me. I'm down to nothing. I'm hurting down here. Like, I am totally broken. Have you, have you been to the point where you've lost a lot, and you just feel broken? Like, you're down at the bottom? Like, that is a brokenness. Now, that sounds very different than, than uh, the, the other response where he's like, listen, you, that guy's dad needs help? Nah. Won't even, I won't even put him in my doghouse. Like, you can forget it. I hate that guy. Like, you go from that to this guy who's broken and sad. It's this range of human emotions. We also see great faith. One of the greatest places in, 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 in this scripture, I, I want to read just, a, just one passage uh, out of this. I've got multiples for here. This, this is all real good. But chapter 19, chapter 19. This is, if you read the Bible, if you love the Bible, you know that chapter 19 is a fun chapter in the book of Job because of what he says. Now, let's keep in mind something, okay? If, if Job is truly the oldest manuscript oldest book in the world. That means if, if, and if the timeline all works up, which as many as I can find scholars that have kind of worked through different, different historical timelines, that means Job probably lived around the time of, um, uh, before Abraham, right? Probably around the time of, of Esau and some of the, so way, way back, Esau's descendants, there's some, there's some lineage uh, things going on. And if, if you go way back, the, that means the scriptures weren't written yet. All right, so Moses, we know, is the one who put together and wrote the first five books of the Bible. So, which means there is, um, if this happened before Moses was born, that means the scriptures weren't, weren't written. He had no scriptures to work with, right? So, in chapter 19, verses specifically 23 through 26, listen to this. Oh, that my words were written. 
Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that they, oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. There is a powerful, powerful moment of faith. If, if you've gone through the grieving process, there is moments of incredible sadness. There is moments of incredible anger. There is moments of incredible apathy. There's moments of, I don't care. There's moments of, I care too much. There's moments of, I'm too broken. There's moments of, I'm too mad. But then, if you're working through the grieving process, there's also moments of faith. And those moments of faith can, is, is what really truly pulls you out to either health, or if you don't have the moments of faith, it's going to pull you out to, dis, to destruction. So Job is being pulled out into faith the more and more he hears and the more he sees. I, I love how he says this very thing. Like he's, he's, That's a moment of faith, right? Well, then after this is when Zophar shows up and just like, hey, you're a sinner, you're terrible. You know, because I, I do think whenever we have moments of great faith, there's, there's other ways that the enemy is going to try to attack that faith, right? Job started to heal through some process, and then Zophar speaks up again, and he's like, hey, listen, you are the worst, and you should die. You, you, you deserve so much worse. As we see how the Scripture is all lining up, the, the chapters 32 through 37 is this other guy that shows up. Uh, this other guy is Elihu, and so now we've got these three guys that are... That are um, that keep telling Job, you know, we, we, I'm going to suggest you may be a sinner. Next guy, I'm going to assume you're, this is on you. Third guy, this, you, you deserved way worse. Like, you got lucky by not getting what God really had coming to you. Then you, you kind of work through the rest of the story, and then this fourth guy shows up, Elihu. Elihu is a guy that um, is considered a mediator. So when he comes into the scene, he's supposed to bridge the gap between Job and his friends and between Job and God. And uh, he does some things, and he says some things that are, uh, I, I assumed, when I read through this book this past time, I was kind of like, oh, Elihu, he's going to uh, rebu rebuke Job's friends. This is great. All right, good, good, good. This guy's like going to be nice. He's going to be great. Well, then he shows up, and he doesn't really show a bunch of love for uh, Job. He, he kind of just preaches at him. And he's kind of just like, listen, here's something you need to know. Here's something you got to know. And he speaks some truth, but he doesn't do it in a very caring way. He doesn't do it in the, in the, most, in the nicest of ways. Um, he didn't console him as much as he just corrected him in certain areas. Um, chapter, in fact, if we look down to chapter 34, uh, verse number 33, uh, what we'll read, a, a, this, this says, um, uh, will he then, this is uh, Elihu speaking, will he then make repayment to suit you because you reject it? For you must choose and not I, therefore declare what you know. Uh, men of understanding will say to me, the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge, his words without insight. As Elihu is trying to explain to him, he's like, he's just preaching to him, right? He's, now he's telling him these great truths, he's telling him these things, but ultimately he's, he's preaching it at, at Job. And Job is trying to rationalize. He's trying to understand all of it. He's like, I'm hurting still. I'm still hurting. Now, Job, through these seasons of... Here's one of the things I've learned through the grieving process as well. I had, a, I had, I had two counselors that helped me through my grieving process. 
I still call them. I still talk to them. I still take we I, I, I'm in need of people to help me understand what I cannot see and understand. And sometimes I need somebody to say, you better be careful. God's holy. Don't you you got to you got to make sure. And the places that Elihu corrected Job were in the right areas, right? He corrected in the right way. He corrected in the right time. Now, nobody likes to hear correction. I've always said everybody loves wisdom until you're doing something unwise. Then you're going to hear you're not doing this wisely. And you're like, whoa, hold up. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, now there's a lot of people that are preachers in the world, but ultimately as we look through these scriptures, uh, what I want to, to kind of work through now, Elihu does talk about the greatness of God. He talks about how incredible God is, how holy he is, how awesome he is, all those great things. But we find as we, as, so the first part of the, the you know, this epilogue or this prologue of, um, you know, Job in the hands of Satan. Then this, the chunk of this book is Job in the hands of men and all of the things that everybody's trying to tell him. And now we've come to the section of Job in the hands of God. And as we look at Job in the hands of God, chapters 38 through 42, this is where we see um, that it is something incredible. Now, I, this is where I tell you, this is my favorite place, right? Here it is. This is my favorite place. Because this is when God just kind of steps in and says, here's, here's the truth. Uh, here's where we see that everyone thus far was just wrong. And it, it's not that truth wasn't said. It's not that intentions were all bad. It's not that um, everyone had the wrong everything. It was that no one had all the information. No one did. No one in this story knew what had happened. It was, it was unclear because they didn't have all the information. So as I, as I look through that, this go around, none of us have all the information. So why do we act like we know the right answers for everything? Like, I mean, think about that. We, I can, now I can give you principles, right? I, I'm, I'm the Elihu in the, in the situation. I can tell you the truth. Hey, listen, worse could happen. It could, because God is holy and his ways are higher than our ways. He's good and he's right. And listen, there's a day coming we're all going to have to agree with God because he is right. It doesn't matter what we got. Listen, when the day, the moment he took my father from this earth, God was right in it. Now, that's hard for me to swallow because I'm like, he was 59 years old. There's way too much good he still had left in him. He was doing work better than most people I had ever known in my life. Like, he was reaching people, making an impact people. God, why would you take him out now? This doesn't make sense. And God says, my ways are higher than your ways. And he was exactly right the second he took him. Now, I still struggle with that. I still struggle. You know why? Because I, I'll pull up my phone thinking, I'm going to call my dad. It's been almost two years now. And I'm still, and in those moments, I'll hurt. I'll hear a song that reminds me of him. I'll hear something. And I think, God, are you, whew, I really needed him right now. And God's like, no, you needed me. You needed me this whole time. You didn't need him. You needed me. I gave you him for a season. And now rely more on me. Have some other men in your life that are going to be mentors. Don't just rely on this one. Open it up. Let's think of more. I'm going to have to agree one day, whether I agree or not, right now, God was right. He was exactly right. He's right in all, in everything, in every situation in our life. Whatever he's put us through is for our good, for our sanctification, as the Bible says in the New Testament. Everything we go through is for our sanctification or our holiness process. So 
We, we've got to agree with that. In chapters 38 through 42, we see that everyone so far has been wrong, not because their heart was wrong, not because their actions were wrong, not because their truth was wrong, but because they didn't have the whole story and they acted like they knew. They acted like, yeah, I can tell you from my perspective, here's what's happened. Now, your perspective is lacking. That's what the scripture is teaching me here. As I read, this is uh, the, these first... Um, uh, each person within the story, they, they didn't see the reason that Job dealt with the problems that he dealt with, right? Not even Job. I read through the end of this book. I read this book a dozen times. And guess what? Job, I, to my knowledge, never, never knew this side of heaven that God's conversation with Satan was never told. God didn't say, okay, hey, Job, listen, now that this is all over, I'm going to bring you out of captivity. Listen to what you, you're going to be an example to generations to come. This is what I did. I suck. I, I, I was the one that I said, hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick Satan on you. Now, that, I don't know if that made Job feel better or worse at this point. I'm like, well, God, I thought you, thought you loved me. Man, what's, the, what's happened here? Because, see, he's, he's living with, with not glorified eyes, right? He still, even if you told me, and, and if you said, uh, if God were to tell me today, hey, Anthony, the struggles you're going through, don't worry, I, I, I beat Satan up with your testimony. I'd be like, that's great, Lord, but you could have used a lot of other people, like a lot of other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll give you a list of people that I think you should use. <laughs> you know, I, I can tell other people need to go through suffering, but I don't want to go through it, right? I can tell other people need to deal with something. I don't want to deal with it. But as I look at it now in chapters 38 through 42, we see when God shows up and begins to answer Job. And it starts out, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said in, verse 30, in chapter 38, Who is this? that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. And then he starts on, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? <laughs> he said, tell me if you have understanding. He's, I mean, this is God. I never want to hear this, this part of God, like in my life. You know, he's like, hey, you think you're big. You think you're strong. You think you got something to offer me? Let, where were you whenever I was whenever nothing existed and I spoke and everything existed. Where were you? Oh, you weren't. Oh, oh surely you understand. Surely. This, this whole section, I have, I have preached this, I, I bet you, dozen, a dozen times, this, this particular text, because you begin to read it and see God is big. I mean big. And you start to realize we are not. At, at all. Like, he's going through here talking about these things, and I, I've, I've taken each verse and looked at the magnitude of what that means and done a bunch of data and research on each of these verses when God is asking, where were you when the, when the, the, the goats in the mountains give birth? I looked up how many goats on average give birth per year per, per, in the world. And it was like millions, millions. And God's like, where were you? even if you were there when one of them did it, it's not, I mean, go every day. There's, there's 50,000 that, are, I mean, it's like crazy the numbers. And I was like, God is humongous. He's humongous. And we're just like, we have no idea. Like, we have no idea. And Job is, at this point, he's now in the hands of God. And I, and I just see this transition. If you look at it uh, uh, in, uh, artistically, we'll say, you've got Job in the hands of Satan way down deep. I mean, hurt, broken. Then you've got Job in the hands of man. And it's just this shuffling, constant dialogue, constant battle, this battle going on, battle going on. And now you see him in the hands of God. And there's, Job's not fighting anything anymore. Job's just sitting there listening. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's no fight anymore. Now, I would think that Job's emotions are probably a wreck right now as he's hearing how big and great and holy God is. But he just continues, and Job has no answer to any of this. He's, uh, he keeps asking Job questions, and Job's like, I don't, I don't know. You're better. I don't know. You're bigger. I don't know. You're, you're greater. You never make a mistake. I do. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then in the chapter 42 towards the end, those, those three, two and a half chapters, they're great chapters to just live in, just live in, just to see the magnitude of God. One of my hearts in ministry is to help people see God. That's it. I don't want them to see how clever I can be. I don't want them to see how, how uh, artistic or how creative or how, you know, oh, that, that, re- that illustration really showed me something. I'm so glad you thought of it. My goal is letting you see God because whenever God shows up, your life changes. It does, it, no time in Scripture are people's lives changed by some clever sermon. It's by the God who crafted the Word, and the Word changes and transforms us. In chapter 42, as the book ends, we see Job gets freed. When did he get released? Listen to chapter 42, verses 7 through 10. I want to read these verses to you. Very end here. Job gets um, uh, freed from his... uh, He's confessing and repenting. And listen to what it says. After the Lord, verse 7 uh, of 42, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job... The Lord said to Eliphaz and uh, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly." For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the, Shu, the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now the next verse says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. I, I thought about that. That's, I, when did God restore? When did God free Job? from this curse that was put on him, right? And, and, and I say it's a curse. It was, it was all ordained by God, and it was God allowed, because Job continued to worship God. He continued to point to his Redeemer. He continued to point to the resurrection of a Redeemer, by the way. That's a crazy faith, faith statement back in the time this was going on. And so I, I think, when did he truly free Job? It was when he prayed for his friends. That's, that's when it happened. It was when he prayed for those friends. I, so I started thinking, what was the prayer? It's not listed in here. I've looked all over. I've, I've tried to figure it out. But it says, He restored the fortunes of his friends when he had prayed for his friends. I can, I can almost imagine the prayer. I'm, I'm sorry for the things I said to those guys. Right? I'm sorry for what they said, for how they were almost like they, they spoke out of ignorance. Right? And, and he's praying for them for God to forgive them, if we could, if we want to pray for people, for God to forgive the people around us, like he's already, because he's already confessed and repented, right? Job's already done that with God. And now, but he still hasn't got his, his, his restoration yet. The restoration hadn't take place until Job prays for others. I started thinking and wondering, man, are we under any kind of 
of oppression in our life, and we, we're, we're going to God and repenting and, and, and praying for and confessing, God, I'm sorry for doing this, and I, and I want to I get freed from this. Are we praying for others? Are we praying for those around us? Because God freed Job after he prayed for his friends. Like, it was this, it was this constant... It's not just about you, Job. It's about what God can do through you and around you. Like, that's what it's about. Then I saw something absolutely amazing. Listen to what it says in verse number 12. It says, And the Lord blessed the latter days of, of Job more than the beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep. Now, in the beginning, he had 7,000. So he's doubled it, right? And he had 6,000 camels. In the beginning, he had 3,000. He doubled it. It says he had 1,000 yoke of oxen. Well, he had 500 before. He doubled it. He had 1,000 female donkeys. Well, he had 500 before. So God has double-blessed Job, right? Now, here's, here's, the, here's the hook. Are you ready? This is it right here. I found it. Here it is. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Wait. He had seven sons and three daughters in the beginning. Why would God... So God's math is off, right? If he doubled the sheep and the oxen and the camels and the donkeys, why did he not double his sons and daughters? Because Job did not lose his sons and daughters. The day Job died and he was in heaven, guess who was there? The sons and daughters. And then the sons and daughters that died after that, now he's got 14 sons and six daughters. See, here's what I learned through this entire... I would not have... Until I have experienced the grief I've experienced, here's what I learned. We don't lose people as believers. We just have to wait on them. We don't lose them. See, he lost the livestock. He lost the the fortune. So God doubled back to him because you don't get to take that stuff with you. You don't take the money with you. You don't, you don't ever see that again. What you do see again is the people that are bought with the blood of the Lamb. And we know that Job had given offerings in his son's honors and in his daughter's names back in chapter 1, right? So we know that his sons were, were, and daughters were, were believers. They were people that were bought. They were redeemed. So here's what I have learned through this entire study of the book of Job today. You can't lose those that God saves. So God did in fact, double his family. Even though the math didn't work out on our end, it worked out on his end. You're not going to lose. See, it's, I don't know. That, um, I was very blessed by that this week because um, we have, when, when, when you go through really terrible grieving processes, the phrase is, I lost my so-and-so. I lost my dad. No, I didn't. I just got to wait a little while. We're going to reunite again. Why? Because of what it says in chapter 19. I know my Redeemer lives. I know that He resurrected from the dead, and because of that, I'm resurrecting too. And we are going to be together again. God is so good. I hope you were encouraged by Job today. We're going to do something incredible next week. We're going to go through the entire book of Psalms in one setting. <laughs> I was, uh, we'll see. We may end up breaking it up into a couple of different books sections, but I'm going to try to do the whole book of Psalms next week. So uh, I encourage you to be back. And it, I won't keep us here for five hours, but uh, it'd be fun if we did. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we are so great, grateful 
God, that your math works out. Lord, whenever we're in the hands of Satan, it can be tough. Whenever we're in the hands of men, it can be tough. Or in the hands of God, it can be tough. But we know that you are the God who restores. We know that you are the God who heals. You're the God who forgives. You're the God that is in complete and total control. God, I am encouraged today to know that you didn't have to give Job 14 new sons and six new daughters because he never truly lost them. Because we don't lose those people that are bought by your blood. Father, I pray that today may we find ourselves the heart and the holiness that your scripture teaches for us. May we be found faithful, even if situations don't make sense, even if there is some conversation going on between you and the enemy, even if we, we don't know, God, we don't know what's happening in heaven. We don't know what's happening. I, I can tell you some principles, Lord, I think through your word that are happening, but ultimately, God, I really don't know. I don't know. So help us to stop acting like we do and help us to just start loving people, caring for people, sharing the truth of God's word and allow it to penetrate hearts and lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. And as always, God, thank you for your love for us. You're great. You're awesome. You're mighty. And I pray we are encouraged today by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.